Hey, Steve. Dan Landrum. It's really you. I have missed you. Really? I have. I've missed talking to you, too. Uh, We've had a lot going on. (coughs) I'm still coughing a little bit and getting over sick. sick. What's going on? I don't know. Come on, tell me all about it. This is what people want to hear. I don't know. I went to talk to my pharmacist the other day who uh, gave me some good advice. Is it an herbalist? No, pharmacist. You know, when you don't have a lot of money, <laughs> pretty much all musicians are in that state. I mean, there's there's the superstars that have it, but sometimes it's just expensive to go to a doctor when you know it's one of these things. And I'm not talking people out of going to the doctor, but they're probably going to say, yeah, you need to go to the CVS or Walgreens or whatever and, and get Mucinex, you know, and that kind of thing. Right, so, or you can even go to the local farm co-op. So maybe that's a different thing. I think that's Pharmax. But I asked my uh, pharmacist, I said, hey, would you help me figure this out? Because I have this issue and this issue. And he came out from behind the counter and walked over to the aisle. And I wouldn't have done this when he was really busy. And it's nice knowing the people at your pharmacy and spent some time with me. And I felt like I got better advice than I would have had I gone to the doctor. Uh, and so Frank, you helped. don't go to the doctor a lot. I go when I must. Uh, I'm a man, which makes me not be as smart as most women. Right, whatever. Uh, yeah, well, I think it's true. That's we, why you we, were doing phrenology for so long. <clears throat> Never, you know what that is? That's where you rub the bumps on the top of your head. Right. I don't do that. But well, I did anymore. reveal the bumps on, well, because they're so easy to see. You were into acu- <laughs> acupressure for a while. Never never was, no. Okay. <laughs> That's somebody else. But there are people who into that, and we need to not offend them. Well, so. the truth is, when you're in a bind, you, I've, and I, you're way behind, and you're willing to make a deal. That's right, and you will try <laughs> anything. You know, I know somebody that's really not into kind of alternative medicine, but they went to an acupuncture clinic just to try it because they were they couldn't sleep, they're in pain, they're just out of it completely at the end of their rope. And experienced noticeable improvement. And this person said to me, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's real or not. I'm doing better. Sure. I know a guy who went to an acupuncturist because she was really good looking. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I do. I really do. He wanted a good looking girl to stick needles in him. (laughs) Anything. (laughs) You should check your friends, man. At his age. Hey, listen, we we need to get off of the skeptics thing. But I, I will say... If you are considering doing something that isn't medicine, go to this site called whatstheharm.org. Ooh, what is this? Whatstheharm.org. And because then you can you can type that in and say I'm considering going have someone paint my elbows with applesauce because they say it's good for, you know, eyebrow hair. Right. Uh, that might be on whatstheharm.org. Because somebody might have found out that it actually increases eyebrow hair. Now, who makes what's the harm.org the high sheriff of all health concerns? I, di- I didn't. Okay. But it's a nice source. It's a good place to start. What's that other thing you can do when you get an email and it, you know, and you're wondering if it's true and you can go check it out? My mom does it. Oh, you mean Snopes? Snopes. What is that? S N O P E S? Yeah, Snopes.com. And and so, like, if you hear that John Lennon is still alive, you could go there and they might say, to the best of the evidence, we don't know that he is alive. We actually think he's dead. You know, this is the anniversary of his death, I think. Are you kidding? 
Can you look that up? What What is the day that we're recording this? October 12th. And I do think it is. Well, apparently, John Lennon was born uh, in October. Look at this. October 9th. That's amazing. 9th. Okay. Yeah. I knew it was right around now. So, Steve. Uh, yes, I am getting heavier. What's been occupying your I'm getting time? heavier. away. That's good. What's been occupying your time musically? Oh, come on. Do we have to get into dulcimer so quick? I think we should. We aren't that interesting if we don't. Well, the last thing we want to do with this podcast is be interesting. That's usually the last thing we do. <laughs> Let me just tell you one more health thing. Okay. I'm doing low carb, you know. And I'm not doing no carb. I'm just doing low carb. I mean, I eat carbs like crazy. Um, so I got this little packet called Blessing of the Sea. It's healthy seaweed. <laughs> <laughs> it's healthy seaweed snack. Oh gosh, seaweed is absolutely a great diet food because it tastes horrible. No, I've had some with oh. wasabi on it and some with a fish sauce on it. Ooh, it's actually pretty good. So what is this thing we always got to get back to dulcimer? There are people out there that only want to hear about dulcimer. And if we give them dulcimer only, they will keep listening to the show. See, there's a part of me that thinks you're trying to sabotage this oh, dulcimer geek thing right now. No, are you? You're my buddy. This podcast is you and me sitting at Denny's enjoying our time together. And yes, most people are not going to want to hear that. But somebody's crazy enough to want to hang out with us at Denny's. Yeah, well, I like a good conversation with almost anyone. Well, I, I do too. <laughs> and we have a lot in common, I think, so that helps. What in the world? So uh, we got to get back to Dulcimer. There's people have, right now listening, and they're like, please get onto the Dulcimers. Some of you out there are like, please get onto the Hammer Dulcimer, and the rest of you are, please get onto the Mountain Dulcimer. <clears throat> Can I give you a... Uh, uh, Cool Sam Rosetta instrument update. Okay. Because I've not been much of a musician for the last couple of weeks. I had my last gig was two weeks ago, and I have been sick, and we are remodeling a house. Right. We're lucky you didn't cut, cut a finger off. Oh, it's just been, it's been awful. And I sound better than I did last week when I recorded with Butch, but uh, still, my diet plan has involved other things, and I'll just stop right there with that. But listen, last gig was about two weeks ago. I was rushing that day. I came in to play my instrument. I hadn't really played it for about a week prior to that. I'm I'm not sounding like much of a musician right now, I promise, because I was making making such great progress on a recording project. Yeah, you were in this, the mood. When this house thing started, that all just boom. I knew that would happen. Every time you do this, you know, of course you're you're just gonna be out of commission. Yeah, a little bit. The, oh we've crossed a uh you know, we've we've crested the hill at least on the uh, house project. So I've started writing again, which is cool. But what I wanted to say that I'm excited about was two weeks ago, since my last gig, I didn't have to tune my instrument before that gig. And I know it had been a week before that. And today, listen to this. So this isn't perfect, but That's all the way up bad, into the high notes. It's not bad. Oh, those high ones. You're hearing notes up there, like with three strings on each and they're still doing well in the low end. That's a little out right there. That ease out. Yeah, so but that could have been you running into it. Angie Listen ran into that. it. Listen to that. Listen to that low B. 
So now pretty, I was I'm, talking to somebody about this, and they said, "Yeah, but I bet his pin blocks uh, are made of wood." And then you say, "Yeah, they are, but they're wrapped in carbon fiber on this one." What does that mean? Well, they're encased in carbon fiber, not inside the instrument, but they are. Uh, they're highly finished. They have a lot of, I guess, the raw way of saying, I don't know if it's, there's some kind of urethane on them. You know, if you take a piece of wood and you, well, let's let's say this. Let's say you buy a piece of wood that you know will rot quickly, uh, like a hardwood. If you put it out in the rain, it would change color and start to deteriorate just like a tree. But if you took that tree, that chunk of wood, and you soaked it in urethane and you just encased it in urethane, it wouldn't get wet. So it couldn't soak the wood up. I mean, they couldn't soak the moisture up, and it would, it would stay. But there's been—I'm not a builder, so I'm talking out of school here. But to my ear, boy, and I'm going to confess right now—I might be wrong about this. The instruments where people have put a lot of urethane on the inside of them and heavily finished the outside of them have always not sounded quite as good to me. Uh, like you've seen, like a high gloss mountain dulcimer before with a heavy finish on it. Aren't you a little suspect? Yeah, they don't re- they just seem to be reluctant to resonate. That's what I would say, yeah. And so I on this one, on this carbon fiber thing, it's just the support system that has to be highly urethane. I think urethane. Because, <laughs> I don't yeah, because because the uh, carbon fiber doesn't have to have anything on it because it absorbs zero moisture. So. All right, well, some people aren't into this geeky talk, and some people hate hammer dulcimers. But you people, I want to tell you why this is significant. We're talking about an instrument that, when it's out of tune, can be unpleasant, to say the least. <laughs> they can be unpleasant when they're in tune. And we're talking about this thing. How long has it sat there? Two weeks? It's been at least three weeks since I've tuned in. Dude, it's that's amazing. I've it heard is. you pull dulcimers out, and I've heard you say, man, I haven't tuned this in a while. And I've heard that from a lot of hammer dulcimer players through the years. That thing you just played there for having sat three weeks, that's pretty amazing. It is amazing. I'm thrilled. Yeah. So, no complaints here. I sp- I'm still not quite, quite satisfied with the way it's sounding for me live. Though I have, you know, I've made some strides, moved my pickup around and done some stuff like that. But I'll get to that. That's a long process. You need a subwoofer, my friend. Well, that's not, you mean like built into the instrument? Wouldn't that be awesome? You could build it into your shirt or something so you could just feel it thumping a little more. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Though, hey, Steve, have you ever wondered, you know, they're selling a lot of these little Bluetooth speakers now that are about the size of a can of Two, maybe two cans of tuna yeah, it's interesting. stacked and <clears throat> they're not great sounding but they're okay sounding and they they'll like have a little woofer that faces down many of them are surprising they're surprisingly good have you wondered if maybe we can't move to something like that where you carry four of those in a backpack and you get to a place and you set up to do the gig because rarely are we like trying to fill an auditorium with anything that we're carrying in ourselves you know, and, and a lot of times in a jam, you want something that's 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 hidden, and all it's doing is providing the smallest amount of support, just a little extra volume. I mean, that's not a bad idea. For me, what I really want is it to pick up the bass. I think we could have these d- things installed in the devices, and nobody would know. <laughs> that's what I'm wondering. 
You know what? I did drive here. I've tried so many silly things with dulcimers. There was this thing, and maybe you can still buy them. I'm a I'm a geek when it comes to technology too. It was called the mouse. This are you near a computer? Look up like sound mouse. Sound mouse. Sound mouse. Let me see if I can find it while I'm while I'm here. Well, why don't and you? It was, okay, I'll keep talking. So it had a little suction cup on it. It was about the size of a computer mouse, and you put it on glass. Oh, here it is. And you twisted it, and it made you know a suction connection. Right. With a suction cup, and it supposedly vibrated the surface to become your speaker. And uh, I experimented with hooking, sending sound from my dulcimer in through that and had it hooked onto the dulcimer and it just was awful. Well, apparently there's a, there's a lot, there's um here's something called an ultrasonic sound mouse repeller. That sounds interesting. I don't think that's, that's what you're looking for. <laughs> no. So what, where have you been? What what kind of gigs have you I've been, been on the road it? too much? I I always I never want to be the guy that complains about being on the road. That just is annoying. Who want, but I have been worn out. And uh but I got to do that band jammer festival with Aaron O'Rourke and um and Mike Clemmer. We did that in Townsend. That was a blast. Did we talk about that yet? Nope. These it's a dulcimer, uh, it's a, a mountain dulcimer, but but instead of just well, the bridge is sitting on a drum head, so you get a banjo sound. And um, I, I think it's even safe to say these are controversial instruments for all you haters out there. But you get a bunch of these in a room, and we all get in tune. And, uh, you know, we gave everybody like an orientation where we said, look, you have more power. You got these loud instruments, these band jammers. Um Everybody cut your volume in half and you know you don't have to strum all the strings all the time and sometimes you can play simply and and we we ended up with chord chops for backup bass lines harmonies uh, melodies in different octaves um every time things started to sound noisy I would just say hey let's cut our volume in half and it was like at some point it just started to sound like the prettiest music ever. And now all the haters out there are going to be like, the last thing I want to do is be at a festival with like 30 or 40 band jammers. But truly, there's a charming sound to it. And everybody, um, you know, usually somebody says they, they want a louder instrument. And then five years later, everybody has louder instruments. And then the guy that got the first louder instrument, he has to get an even louder one. And... um that doesn't seem to happen with these. Like when we were all playing, it's like everybody was remarking how you could actually hear what you were playing, which most of the time in a jam or even on stage, I'm hearing everything in my head. I can't hear myself. It's just part of playing a mountain dulcimer. But everybody had a good attitude, and it it's almost nice once a year to reset my brain. You know, I'm playing what feels like a dulcimer, but it has a totally different sound. It's like going on a cruise. It's really refreshing. And mm-hmm. I think um, Aaron O'Rourke, some of the stuff he's doing is insane. Um, you know, one reason he doesn't talk so much sometimes is he's busy practicing. That guy's doing some crazy, <laughs> awesome stuff. He did a Bach piece. I think it's from a uh, a cello suite or something. Just sublime it was just so cool so i've been a lot of places i went up to wisconsin i got cheese i don't know if we talked about that i hey wait 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 don't leave yet don't leave yet <laughs> the uh don't get 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 out of your car go back to the the band jammer all festival. right i'm back 
So you just quickly said, you know, yeah, it's it's controversial. I think for somebody just coming into this thing, they'd say, what? It's controversial. Was somebody killed with a banjo? Right. Or, somebody or, with joy in their heart who hasn't been jaded by whatever they're <laughs> jaded by. Yeah. To, well, I, it's worth talking about a little bit. I think so. Why is it controversial? Why is there anything controversial surrounding making music and joy? Can we... First of all, in order to talk about this, I'm going to exaggerate. So I'm going to need grace, mercy, and forgiveness if I'm going to truly talk about this. I, the main idea, I don't know that I'll get it, but I, I sure appreciate it. I'll extend the same to the rest of the planet. I hope right. that I'm, I hope I'm merciful in my reaction to it, but there are people out there who are haters. If we err, if we err let us err on the side of mercy. Well, for sure. Let's be peacemakers. But what is what is a hater? Like you hear on the internet, a hater, or there's this phrase, haters gonna hate, you know? I refuse to use that kind of language. <laughs> Some people, and maybe I've been this person, I don't want to be an arrogant jerk. Some people, I don't think they mean to. They just get into where they're, they're hating stuff. So they hear a, a hammer dulcimer, a band jammer, a mountain dulcimer, and they just, they, 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 they seem to have a prolonged reaction to something they don't like. And it just seems unnecessary and discouraging. And I don't want to hear it. And I guess I'm doing the same thing right now to them. But Jesus, Pete's the band jammer. Um, you don't have to like everything, but, but it's like somebody will get a new band jammer and somebody will walk up to him and say, Oh, great. Now we got one of those in the group and laugh. And I know they're just being funny, but man, I've seen plenty of ugly babies and I guarantee you, I never said anything about it to the mother in the hospital. For goodness sake, you wait until they're like three to do that. Yeah, but this isn't like that. This isn't like See, that. See, I told you I'd be heavy handed. You are. That's okay. But I can I can rein you in without saying you're an idiot, which I'm not. It's not like that. And it's but but there's more to it. Some of it is uh <laughs> some of it's just fun to joke about I mean violinists first violinists joke about second violinists and all the violins joke about the trumpets and all the brass jokes about the drums. Yeah, section. that's right. And some of that can and, be fun. That's all just kind of part of the culture. However, some people can't tell a joke. <laughs> like me. I don't take a joke real well. Like if you make They can't tell or take, yeah. If if you tell me my hair looks like hay and I got a little bit of a you know, a sway back or something, then I get my feelings hurt. I just you, I don't know if I should joke with you about that. <laughs> yeah. I try when they told me I was sway back in high school and I had to work on that. I almost fell over every day a few times. I don't know. I guess I got real worked up because I'm in a mood. But um, I think it's like, Dan, you're shorter than me. And I think I've joked about it once or twice to you. And I felt very uncomfortable doing it. I don't want to joke about that. Not that there's anything wrong with you being shorter, but it's like, why don't we just keep things a little more positive, you know? Hmm. It's hard to see the world through somebody else's eyes. I mean, we... Uh... It doesn't. It wouldn't bother me. I'm. I'm also more bald than you, <laughs> so it's just. So, it's just okay. That kind of stuff doesn't. Doesn't really matter. I don't think we're I talking guess. about somebody who's trying to be friendly and kind of overdoes it a little, or somebody who's uncomfortable. Like, you think there are people who really see where I thought I you think were going to go with this. There's some people who are angry at life. 
Yeah. Well, and, and I think you're there's some people that. that don't take risks and they love to sit around and criticize others who do. And I don't think they would in their heart of hearts want to be like that. But, you know, like if a fan comes up to me and says something really weird, I usually give them the benefit of the doubt because I think they might be a little nervous. You know, we're just meeting for the first time. They've been watching me on YouTube for two years. Um, I, I've done the same thing. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, sometimes, though, somebody just seems like they're angry at the world and they're mean. And by golly, they hate hammer dulcimers, you know? Yeah. Which I guess more power to them. I just don't want to hear it or be around it. Am I talking about the person or the hammer dulcimer? <laughs> hmm. See, that was a joke. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but, you know, those it, those people are going to... Haters are going to hate, them, man. They're going to flush themselves out of your pipes. It's, eventually. Yeah, but I want them <laughs> to be, be happy. Okay. Like, I had somebody you who was... You can't do that, though. I mean, you can want them to be happy, but it's not going to help you. Somebody was being real nasty to me every once in a while, and I wrote them privately, and I said, look, honestly, we have a number of things in common. And I've always been interested in getting to know you better. And sometimes you just seem like, uh, you know, you're mad at me all the time or something. Maybe that's all in my head. But is there any chance we could just move on and, like, hang out or something? And I got a real nice email back. And it, it was like, sometimes you can... Uh, I've been angry. I've been through a period recently where I was apt to be depressed and mad every day. And people... Can we just pull it together a little bit? These band well, jammers you, are not that bad. <laughs> well, you also know that you can... Uh, I have read you. We've been friends for a yeah, while now. Right. And I've, Go for I've read you some letters and things that I've gotten from... Uh, because of Dulcimer Players News <laughs> every now and then that are, that are just unreasonable. All right. So somebody said to me one time, I don't like the DPN because it's so hammer dulcimer heavy. And then... You pointed out to me that you keep tally of this kind of thing. Absolutely. Because you get emails on the opposite side at the same time. Right. Yeah. I don't... Uh, Dulcimer Players News, <coughs> excuse me, is, <clears throat> is doing fine. We're not really growing, but we're not shrinking. We're a little bit, just a little bit, but not really, you know, it's it's kind of cyclical. It goes up and down. Uh so I think if you were to look at it, you'd say it's kind of it's kind of stabilized at you know around three thousand, a little under three thousand or so. That's pretty good for a uh, you know for a niche magazine right. for for dulcimers. For the most part, when I tell people what I do, they're like, "What?" You know, and they think when we talk about a magazine that we're talking about a a pamphlet, you know, a, th a trifold pamphlet or something that gets sent out, and they're surprised when they see it. But we do strive to keep it balanced. But I think if DPN, assuming that I do my job and that the writers do their jobs and, you know, and people continue to advertise, assuming all that happens, I think the main thing that would kill this effort is that problem. People thinking there's too much of the other thing. Do you um, think that would hurt? <clears throat> I think that's the m most dangerous thing that I deal with as far as 
the life of Dulcimore Players News Magazine. Yes. When you're laying the, out this thing, every time there's an image, every time there's a text box or anything, if you tagged everything with whether it was HD or MD, you could have two different editions. And so somebody gets the hammer dulcimer version and yeah, all the mountain dulcimer stuff is blacked out. It would. <laughs> that's right. There's like little black lines yeah. through it, like it's pornography or something. Right. That would be so funny. <clears throat> no, you couldn't do that because then you'd have two different printings, and it would cost you twice. See, as much the truth print. is, this magazine is really. You know how the internet is a type of community now, and I think back then that magazine was a community, and. Um, it, you know what? It kind of is now in a way that maybe it even wasn't for a few years. Yeah. Uh, we're a third larger than we were when uh, Angie and I started working on it. It's grown since then, I'll say. Uh, but the, it's because the community's changing as well, you know. And while there are festivals, there are more players now, but there are new players coming in who don't have the endearment to the whole festival scene. Right. Now, we're always trying to pull them into that. Uh-huh. And that's why I think it's important. If you have a festival and you're listening to my voice, you should write something cool about what happened at your festival as a way to get other people in. It's not just about having ads in the magazine. It's about submitting content about why they're, why they're awesome to come to. I think having ads and having the calendar listing is great because it lets people say, oh, when is, when is this one? When is that one? And where is it going to be this year? But you have to think about the new people coming in. If they just see an ad that has the name of the festival on there, there's that's not going to make them want to be there. And even listing names, you know, listing Stephen Seifert and listing Larry Conger and listing, I mean, Malcolm Douglas or John McCutcheon. I mean, names that people have known for a long time. Jody Marshall, Ken Kalodner. For new people coming in, we are not superstars. None of us. Right. And, and we have no name recognition out of the outside of the existing community. So I think I somebody was teaching on this recently. I don't remember who it was, but they were pointing out oh, I was a singer songwriter that um, most of your songs are pretty standard as far as chord progressions. But your job as an experienced musician, you know, you can probably wing 95% of the tune. But your job is to figure out what the surprises are. And I've been thinking a lot of lately about how all your tunes have a surprise in them. Even the little one. Like old Joe Clark, it's that, that C note. Um, or a beautiful dreamer, it's the half step. And the fact that it's in 9-8 or something. Um, I think with these, these festivals, just listing the names is not enough there there needs to be a surprise like down in uh um down in louisiana you know um oh shoot what's that festival called that lanyard lanyard that um there's a little surprise there you get your festival you get the same old names but you're going to eat really good and there's going to be a cajun band playing and you get to eat crawfish and you know it's it's cool when a festival has a surprise and it doesn't have to be a lot and I think I think that that, that kind of stuff. Uh, I love going to a festival where you can only get that one thing at that one place. Huh. Yeah, and and there's that one thing 
plus all the stuff that makes festivals great. It's the smiling faces and the uh, when you do get to know dulcimer people at these festivals, I just feel like my family is huge. Right. It really feels like going to grandma's for Christmas a little bit because you get to see all these faces again and you get to eat with people. I mean, I we may have talked about this before, but I'll be at a festival and somebody's mad standing outside in the hall, you know, outside the jam, and I'll ask them how they're doing, and they'll say, everybody's just showing off in there. Um, no, mostly it's a family reunion, and some of us are fighting sadness, and we find great joy in being together. And uh, it's funny, different things can be perceived Differently. I think the majority of us are just looking for a little bit of joy, really. Yeah. Do I sound like I've been drinking or something? <laughs> you, you mean now as opposed to other times? It's the low-carb thing, man. Are you really are doing the low-carb thing? Not no-carb, but listen, I'm going to open this sea veggie up here. It smells a lot like um, nothing. Is this, is this dried food you're eating? Yeah, they look like, uh, what is this? It looks like paper mache, like a little piece of uh, streamer, like a five-inch piece of streamer. But it looks like the, the guy from the lagoon. What's that old movie? Gilligan's Island. I mean, that's not a movie, but uh, Creature from the Blue Lagoon. It's really good, Dan. It's better than <laughs> soy nuts. <coughs> I like soy nuts. Everyone has their own taste. Hey, changing the subject. Here's an email I sent out just a few minutes ago. I'm not. I'm going to change the name. <laughs> you could figure out what this is in response to. Okay. Name omitted. That's okay. Thanks for asking. Exclamation mark. If I was independently wealthy, I'd most likely still may mu play music for free. But as it stands, this is how I make my living, and I don't have a choice. Now, what is this? I don't understand. Is this an excerpt? No, it's an email I sent just a few minutes oh, ago. Oh, you sent it out. Yeah. Oh, so say it again. So this is in reply and read it. No, just I'm asking you to guess what it's in reply to. Uh, that's okay. Thanks for asking. If I was independently wealthy, I'd most likely still play music for free. But as it stands, this is how I make my living, and I don't have a choice. Yeah, they were asking you to play for some local thing. Yes, and I quoted them a price, and they said that's too high. Well, that's fair. And then they, but you know, sometimes uh, we're expecting them to come back with a counter offer and they do not. Did this one come back with a counter offer? <clears throat> no. Uh, he said that wasn't in the budget this year. We don't have that kind of budget for participation uh, in the event, at least this year. <clears throat> you know, Mike Anderson, I, maybe we've talked about this. I got to quit preceding everything with that. But Mike Anderson, he agrees to do like so many um, charity gigs a year, whatever he calls them, you know. Yeah, I do that too, actually. Yes. And then if some, and if he gets his fourth one for the year or whatever, he'll tell the fifth person, "Hey, I'm already filled up this year. What about putting me on for next year, and you can be one of my five or whatever." That's right. There's another thing that I do that I would recommend other people do. If there's a place that uh, pays you well and you've played for them a lot. Offer them a free gig every year if they're doing something for a nonprofit. That way you get to do two nice things at once. Yeah, Does that make sense? Cool. Yeah, and so that's worked out. So in Chattanooga, like the Tennessee Aquarium, that's one of the things I do with them. There's a, uh, a couple of presenters of events that, you know, I'll, I'll tell them that. 
or even play for you know something even if they're having their own sort of open house or something uh, because they always hire me for gigs and it's just a way to say thanks. I think this, I think it's good to <clears throat> I think it's good to extend a little love like that. You know, some we're so often asked to play for free, especially at local things that you can get a bad attitude about it, and before you know it, you're not doing anything for anybody unless they're offering you a bunch of money. Well, would it the thing that I read to you just a minute ago? Would it be any different if I told you that the group was uh, a soup kitchen as opposed to a yes a group of orthopedic surgeons? You know, or if I found out a soup real estate kitchen. investors or something, I mean, it's, that matters. If a soup kitchen called me, I'd want to know who else is on the bill. Like, are there other musicians, or you know? What kind of event is this? If I start to get the feel that everybody's coming together to support the soup kitchen, I don't think I'm going to probably ask for anything. Right. This wasn't a soup kitchen. It was one of the others that I mentioned. <laughs> it's tough sometimes. We, uh, but, but here's this is that we've had this conversation sort of talking about festivals. Yeah. If what I do isn't. I'm not demeaning myself or my music, but if it's not worthy of paying for, uh, since that's what I do for a living, I either need to stop doing that for a living or market myself differently or figure out something. Uh, you really have to be careful about, about playing for people who can't afford to pay for free. Who what? Can't? Who can afford to pay. They can afford to pay. But you have to be careful about doing things for them for free. Right. You hurt everyone. Right. I think. And I hate to bring this up again, but I love it. Um, this idea that you should either be expensive or free. I like this idea. Yeah. Because when it's free, you set the terms. When it's expensive, you know, it, it gets everybody's priorities in line. And... If you do it cheap, you're a little upset. You know, they don't get the best you they could get. It's just not. It, it, I love the idea of free or expensive. Is that crazy? Yeah. Well, I'm. A, so this week, one of my neighbors uh, on the street where I live has uh, relative, relatives visiting from, you know, far out of state. <clears throat> I'm going to go to go down and do a little concert for them because they ask me. For free. Right. Because I want to. <laughs> I'm going to a 50th wedding anniversary in Tucson for two people that I really love. Now, they're helping me get out there, but it's wow. It's it's like, um, you know, it was a big party. And I usually I wouldn't travel somewhere that far unless I had a significant amount of work loaded up. But for this one, it was just like these people are important and we're going to have a blast and I, I want to see Tucson, you know, and I've, I've since lined up some lessons and a, a day of workshops, but um, I don't get to do as much of this stuff as I'd like. And like I said, they're helping me get out there to a certain extent. And, but really I wish I could travel more and just go do something fun, but I usually have to figure out how to keep gas in the tank, you know? That's true. I understand. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hey, rapid fire. A couple of questions. Right. Problems that come up, you have quick solutions for them. Ready? Oh, now this sounds this sounds like you're trying to uh, 
No, there's no tricks here. This will be easy for you. Okay. Just some things that I had on my mind. I, I want to have a sea veggies. Okay, but don't smack. Please don't. You've got to try That's... these. So much better than soy nuts. Mm. You've got a, a student who's supposed to be at your place at a certain time for a lesson. They show up and and they're you know they're scheduled for an hour lesson at a certain fee, and they show up 15 minutes late. What do you do? Well, I, I typically roll with it. Now, when I had back-to-back students, like when I was teaching at Vanderbilt and I had like a lot more students, your time, you know, the start and end time doesn't matter if the people are there or not, <laughs> you know, and I think everybody understands that. And that probably even encourages people to, to be on time, but you know, if I've got a Tuesday and I'm working on all kinds of stuff all day and they're a little late, I roll with it. But I think I, it would be different if I had a full schedule. So you'd you'd go long with them to, so they still got the full hour? Yeah. I, I do watch a, uh, a timer. Well, I mean a clock quite a bit. I'm going to stick to the hour. You know, uh, I, I don't want to um, betray your rapid fire theory here, but... This is what I like. I had a teacher in college with a you know taught piano, piano professor, and on her door was a sign that said "Knock when it's your lesson time." Now, two things that's good about that, and it, and it also said "Don't knock before your lesson time." It it runs the last person out of there, and it removes the burden from the of the teacher having to check the hallways all the time. You know, I I just thought that was cool, and really. This sounds like I'm crazy, but I like I tell my students, you know, please don't knock on the door, you know, before your lesson time. I like that. Yeah, that's reasonable. All right. All right, second one. You have a student who shows up and says, uh, I have to play this particular piece of music uh, this week at school, at church, at my office, or whatever. Uh, teach it to me. If they're already good enough, like some people actually can do that in a week, but you're probably talking about somebody who can't do that in a week, and in that case, I'm going to tell them, I can't help you with this in that short amount of time. I'm going to recommend that they pick something simpler so they can relax, play from the heart, Maybe do something in the vein of whatever it is they were originally wanting to do. But if somebody's like a monster sight reader and has a pretty good memory and they got a great work ethic, I can be like, look, uh, measure 14, way too hard. Let's turn it into four quarter notes. This whole second half, you do not need to play all those weird chords. Let's stick to one, four, and five. And um, if you get lost at any point doing, during this, you can always go back to the beginning, the intro thing, and you know. That's that's rapid. When do I get to rapid fire you? Well, fire away if you have something on the tip of your brain. All right. Um, uh, another performer, and I, I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing, but another performer learns your arrangement before they became a performer, and now they're playing pretty much note for note this arrangement that, you know, it's 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 almost like a comedian hearing a joke and then now they're telling that joke as if it's theirs 
And I'm not necessarily saying this is a bad thing. What do you think about all that? What, how would, what would I do? Well, what do you think about it? I, imitation is a sincerest form of flattery. And I believe that. So that's, I would try to, I'd pout at first. You would pout a little? <laughs> uh, maybe, yeah. But I usually get over that. I think about that. Uh, if if they did it in innocence, that would make a difference. I mean, as opposed to somebody psychotically stealing stuff or something. Yeah, but if I was playing uh, a, a Stephen Seaford arrangement of something, you know, pretty much note for note, I had watched you on YouTube and I'd played it, and I was okay at it, or even if I wasn't, if I wasn't, the penalty would be built into the performance. <laughs> But it's also, because, <laughs> but if it wasn't that good, then it's kind of like they got trading wheels on and we'll give them a pass. That's right. But I'd say I do a pretty good job, but I preface it by, <clears throat> I learned this by watching Steven Seifert play this on, uh, on YouTube. I hope he's proud. Yeah. I think like if somebody did that for me, I'd, I'd be like, that's cool. I think so. And I guess this is relevant for me because I, I'm in love with David Schnaufer's dulcimer music, and every once in a while, I'll say, here's a tune uh, from David Schnaufer. I think what I try to always do is way put myself into it. Like, sometimes I've changed things quite a bit, but every once in a while, I just like to play it the way I remember him playing it, um, and it makes me feel funny, but you know, part of my joy in life is honoring him with that. I, I think maybe it's different with comedians, like comedians using somebody other's somebody else's joke. I don't know. That is different. That's very different. Yeah. All right, hit me with a rapid fire. Uh, this is fun. Oh, this is fun. Okay, a student shows up on time, one hour lesson. Uh, you're a hammered dulcimer teacher, though, <laughs> with an instrument that is not even close to even being in tune with itself and it's way out you got a screwed up hammer dulcimer that may not even be able to be tuned and it's it's currently it, out of tune and by the way this isn't their first lesson this is they've they've been taking lessons for a while they know this is an odd thing because with a mountain dulcimer you just tune it up real quick um i guess you have to you have to have a place that they can come and tune up before their lesson Right? Or you have them well, do but, it at home? Well, the, but, but they didn't. I know it's out of tune. I was hoping you could help me. Sometimes that one makes me angry. <laughs> you know, one of the secret weapons of a hammer dulcimer player is that they are willing to tune that beast. You know, like part of what makes you a good hammer dulcimer player is you're willing to tune it. But there's a good chance that before they came for their lesson, I tuned my instrument. I've just spent 30 minutes making this thing be great right. so that I can teach them. I don't want to tune it. You don't want to tune it. See, I what run into do? this with mountain dulcimer players, but they've only got three or four strings. I just reach over and tune them up in like 15 seconds. But for you, that's not like it could be out enough. What is it going to take for you to tune this thing? It depends. If it's a good instrument, I can do it and probably, I mean, do a marginally okay job in 15 minutes. But, but if but it's it could a bad be 25 if it's... Yeah, if it's a bad instrument, it takes longer than that. Well, you know what you do is, this is what you do. You say, hey, I understand life is busy. 
My preference is that you have this thing mostly in tune before you get here. However, if you don't mind paying uh, for me to tune it, maybe you appreciate the service, and I'm glad to spend the first uh, 15 minutes tuning you, but it, it's part of your lesson time. And I'll only do it if your instrument is better. You have to buy a better instrument. <laughs> yeah, I usually tune them, but there have been occasions where I say, look, if you want to leave this with me, I'll tune this for you. Uh, but not now because it needs a lot of work. And I'll charge you a lesson fee for tuning it because I'm going to give it to you in really good shape. Uh, or we can spend this lesson. Usually what I'll do is I'll say, we'll spend this lesson working on tuning again because this needs to not be so frightening to you. Right. I try to encourage them. And, you know, I've had a number of lessons where I'm mo- I'm, I tell them to tune and then I, I recommend they do things differently. And it's a very boring lesson for them. But I'm like, okay. And I'll t- take the strings and I'll take them out of tune. And I'm like, all right, do it again. You know, that's a very painful lesson, but it can save you years of frustration if you can just buckle down and get better at it. And some people say, uh, well, I think I'm close enough, you know. (laughs) Yeah, that's tough to take. I mean, the truth is, we've all done that, I guess, but um, the, the only way close enough is good enough is if you're good enough to get it totally in tune if you really want to maybe i don't know sometimes close enough is not close enough man yeah if it's a young student i don't want them playing out of tune because it's bad for them it's bad for them it's bad for their ears sometimes you got somebody older who can't really hear well so for them it truly is close enough yeah that's maybe true but what hey steve ready i'm here's your test oh you're gonna test me here we go what interval was that? It's a major third, and it's also yes. that, listen, you got a root and a third, and the third is slightly flat, which reduces the beat frequency, which is more close to maybe just tuning or something like that. All right, what interval is this? That's a, a, a fifth. Right? Yeah. How about this one? That's a flat seven. That's right. This one's going to be a little harder. That's a six. A little harder to, Major to grab sometimes. Yeah. And you'll get this one. That's a fourth. That's right. So <clears throat> why are you able to do that? Were you born with this magic ability to do that? When I couldn't do it, I can't overemphasize how much I couldn't do it. Like, there was a period in high school when I found out in my theory class that we were going to be expected to do that. It scared me to death. And I remember thinking, I wasn't born with that. I am in trouble. And we, I had a music theory teacher who systematically trained us. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we did what was called oral skills training. And he started with just two things. Just like you want to learn Morse code, you start with two letters, maybe. And we're talking every Tuesday, Thursday for a year. And by the end of the year... I could hear them. And and what I like to encourage people with is I went from not being able to do this at all to doing it poorly to getting better and better. And even now, I don't have absolute certainty. Like when you played that six, it almost tricks you a little bit, almost sounds like a third. And there's a lot of times my guesses are not black and white. You know, it's not. Anyway, 
so many people like would hear me do that and they would think, oh, he was born with that. I was terrible at that. But you can learn it. Now, I don't have a test for you, dude. I don't want, <laughs> I don't want one. I, was, I gave that to you. I'm glad you didn't give it to me. I'm not as good at that as you are. I haven't had the training that you've had. So the way I would do it is go, do, re, me, and use do, re, me. That's the way I used to do it, too. He would play an interval for us three times. Um, He would play it together and then separate, together, then separate, and then he would pause, and he would do that two more times. And in those, and I would be humming. I would be um, singing little songs, like that major sixth. Somewhere there's a place for us. Those first two notes, you know. Yeah. Like I'm singing, I'm counting up. I think uh, one thing students miss is they'll have one way of figuring out an answer. And if that one way doesn't lead to an answer, they panic and put their hands up. I think when you really get into music, you might end up with seven ways to figure something out. And when one doesn't give you help, you jump to the next one and it's like merry-go-round and you revisit the original methods and eventually you end up getting some clues and you make some guesses and you're off and running. I think there's a little bit of problem in there also that we, maybe I'm speaking for myself here because I've had to overcome this and maybe I haven't completely, but there's a part of me that stills, there's a little bit of magical thinking there that I'm thinking, no, this person... You know, their brain has something the mind doesn't have. And it might. There's a good chance that it doesn't, though. There's a good chance and they've just that worked we're overrating that, which we've talked Yes. About. Yeah. That, that if I really practice that, but not just practicing it, you've got to practice getting rid of thinking that you don't have it. I was systematically trained <laughs> to recognize a large variety of things like here's one you've probably dealt with it's not uncommon for a new musician to be unable to listen to a song and tell you if it's in three four or four four Um, i've run into this a lot and i remember when i was in high school he he gave us some examples of a melody just played on the piano single note and we had to put if we thought it was in four four or three four or five four, he did some weird ones, six eight, twelve eight. Um, it was always like I was disoriented at first when I heard it, and I would have an initial guess, but then I'd have to test it. Sometimes I'd find out it was wrong. It wasn't quite clear to me early on. Now it's dead obvious. But I think as a musician, there are so many things like that going through the years that I had to learn. And a lot of it was painfully slow, but not so slow that there wasn't any hope, you know? It's a lot of work, isn't it? Good work if you can get it. If you can, you know. and It's fun work yeah, if you like good. it. Yeah. What is... Uh, uh, it's making me want to go to work. Here, I got to give you... <laughs> come on, I got to give you a rapid fire question. And then I think... Um, I think we could both answer this one. What aspect of your musicianship do you really wish you could improve? Like, what need what 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 needs the most improvement? What would just please you like nothing else if you could just push a button and have this one part of your musicianship fixed? Like, what's your weak spot that you want to fix? No question. What the answer to this is? What's that? The, 
<clears throat> the ability to write down what I've played. Really? To transcribe quickly. It feels like a like I'm slaying a, a monster with a toothpick when I sit down to do that. It's yeah. really slow. Yeah, I think part of it's being, you know, somewhat dyslexic. Uh it's a complex series of lines and dots, and it just becomes a you know a pile of black ink at sometimes to me, which is crazy <clears throat> because I get it and I can actually teach it fairly well. When I try to do it, I'm not good at it. Do you notice that you get better a little bit every time you do it? I haven't gotten to that stage yet. You've said that, and I believe you, but I haven't worked that hard. I think you got to do one a week, man. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the problem with me, Steve, maybe, maybe this is an excuse. I think as a tunesmith, maybe has given myself too much credit, but, or, or maybe <laughs> when I sit, when I come into my instrument in the morning and I go, Hey, this, my, I'm fresh and I'm optimistic. I can sit down and come up with something that feels like a composition in, in 20 minutes, right. almost every day. Oh, and I could do that I, too. That's one thing I I appreciate about your playing. But I've recorded so many of these that sometimes when I go back and listen to them, I still have a hard time figuring out what I was doing. Right. You know, or or, or maybe what I was feeling because that's part of it also. No, there's there's a lot of th when you improvise, you end up doing something, and it's going to take you work to figure out what you did. That's why. That's one reason I never really write songs. Or it's like I love to improvise, but then I want to move on with my life. And part of it is I probably don't want to try to reproduce what I did because that's going to be a lot of work. I know, you know, I'm not going to be able to figure it out. Well, you're sounding like me now. I feel like if I had your your notation skills. And I would just like, no, let's write this down. Put it in a book and sell it. Well, I've done a lot of that. <laughs> but I haven't yeah. I haven't made up stuff and written it down. You know, that's a whole other issue. But the basic idea of that is I'm happy making first drafts. Um, but when I listen to my first draft, I'm not real impressed. I mean, I, I like I, I'm having fun while I'm making it. But when I'm listening back to a first draft, I'm not happy and I just go, let's move on. When really I should invest the time in doing a second and third draft and, and tweaking it and editing. And I think that's where you end up with something special. Sure. All right. Now yours. So you answer that question. So for me, without a doubt, ladies and gentlemen, the number one thing, oh man, there's more than one thing, but the number one thing is that I can't sight read piano better than I, I do. So I, I, I wasn't much of a musician in high school, but I was an improviser. When I took that theory class in high school and at the same time was singing in choir, I started to get better with um, pitch. I started to get better with reading a little bit, although I was terrible at first. But really that theory class was like a secret weapon for me. Um, I was able to make up for a lack of reading skills and I could understand all these possibilities, combine that with me just winging it and making stuff up. And all of a sudden, I was able to get a scholarship at the University of Kentucky. I get there, uh, jazz and classical, and I cannot read for Jack. I can't read hardly. And they're throwing me into these situations where I got to sight read for a singer during her lesson, you know, stuff I've never seen before. I'm playing piano for the big band. 
the 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 both of the jazz bands. I'm playing with the combos. I did better with the combos because I could just play my own voicings and make up stuff. But listen, dude, I think of somebody who maybe played football their freshman, sophomore, junior year of high school, but didn't do senior, and they spend the rest of their life watching NFL, wishing kind of down deep that they were you know playing the real game and never quit. I feel that way with sight reading piano and I know what's needed. I need stacks of music. I need to do 15, 20 minutes a day. After a few months, I'll totally be encouraged. After a few years, I'll be like, why didn't I do this sooner? There's so many things musically. Like I want to put on Bill Evans piano arrangements and I don't just want to sight read them. I want to sight read them and then think about them and figure out what he was doing and when I want to put up a boogie woogie piece and figure out, you know, now how does this apply to dulcimer? Well, I sight read for dulcimer pretty well, but ten fingers and then I'm scared. Hmm. <clears throat> That's good. a lot of stuff. It was good to get all that off my chest. I'm glad you did. That's something that you, <clears throat> if it's really that important, I mean, this could be a, a goal you can achieve in hey, life. I have some advice for people out there. I'm, I can't wait to hear it. If you don't like hammer dulcimers... This show is not for you, probably. If you don't like Dan, you're probably not going to be into this show. If you don't like me or Mountain Dulcimers, you know, if you don't want to listen to this show, we want to encourage you to learn music theory, to get better at sight reading, to get better at improvising, to get better at tuning, to get out there and make some music and have some fun, because the last thing we want you to do is listen to this show when we're driving you crazy. Yeah, I don't think those people listen. So. I think you're right. Okay. <clears throat> My advice would be don't be a curmudgeon. <laughs> it's not. <clears throat> it's no good. You don't have all the answers. Your answers aren't necessarily right. It's better to have uh, questions you can't answer than answers you can't question. I That's think, what I'd say. I think all of us should not feel like we're old dogs. We can't learn new tricks. I mean, right. I, I'm realizing as you get older – some of these habits get more ingrained and it gets harder to start new ones, but I don't want to be somebody. I want to fight that flow. You, I, you know what, mm -hmm. Steve? And I know we're, we've kind of gone over a little bit. We haven't gone <clears throat> over. We've never gone over one minute ever. All right. That's true. Cause there's not really a limit, but, but what we do, and maybe I'm speaking more for me than you is a bit fragile. And I don't mean that in a feel sorry for me kind of way, but the last three weeks, I have not played my instrument as much as I should have because I've been highly involved in in not just the house thing, but it's Dulcimer Players News production time. I want this magazine in the hands of people around Thanksgiving is when I like for the fall one to come out. So it's sort of a Christmas shopping thing. By the way, subscribe if you don't. But <clears throat> you know, a lot of tasks, just a lot of stuff to keep done. And I start to worry because I don't think I'm a good enough player to just not practice. I, now, maybe I can fool people, and I could go do a you gig could, for the Chamber of you Commerce. You can fool some of them some of the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But <clears throat> if I, I can't fool me, I'm, and that's what's scary. I mean, not scary, but that's what would makes this thing fragile. Yeah, if you don't practice, you'll have ideas and instincts that your hands are incapable of producing and that'll create an anxiety in you and then all of a sudden you're wishing you weren't there. Right. And I'm 54 years old. Yeah. I've got to stay on my game or I won't be on my game. 
It's important. I'm st- I still believe I can get better. It's not a matter of just you know trying to maintain. There's things I want to do, and some of the stuff that I'm writing, it's, it's tough for me to execute. I feel if I really worked at it, <clears throat> I could get it. That's all I'm saying is uh, there's still a matter. It's 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 not. I hate to say it's not easy because it sounds like I'm feeling sorry for myself or we are feeling sorry for ourselves, but it's being self-employed and trying to keep up with all the things that you have to keep up with. Uh, it's really easy for somebody like me to get too focused on one aspect of that. And so, it, so like building a house and getting our, for, for Angie and I, this is like, this is it. We're done after this. So we're trying to get this nest made that we can, I I don't get to retire. So I have to have a house that, I can afford to live in. You can afford to while die in too. Afford to die in too, well, and continue to do the work that I do. Which, if I don't break my arms or cut my arm off while I'm, you know, sawing something, I intend to do until there's no breath left in me. Well, uh, I think Gene yeah. Ritchie really nailed it, man. And I, you've heard this before, but I'm going to say it again, and I love it. She said, "For me, dulcimer has always been the perfect accompaniment." to the more important things in life. Oh, that's interesting. No, yeah. no, you know, that's just her, but I like it. Oh, I like that, though. No, but that's why. If I, I want to go do something nice for my neighbors, I'm going to take my dulcimer down there and play for them because that's what I do. Dan, have you uh, subscribed to dulcimerschool.com yet? Yes, I have. I have, too. Now, you know, we both are actually, we, we're on one of the free plans. <laughs> we, oh, we are? Okay. We don't have to actually pay, but we're subscribed nonetheless. Hey, let's have a contest or something. Oh, let's give something away right now. No, 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 no. We, uh, but let's plan on it for next time. Oh, we're going to give a, something away then? Yeah, let's do next time, but let's talk about it sometime between now we and next We can't time. give away something right now. <clears throat> we can give away a secret or something. You know, I still cool owe a prize. guy. Here's a secret. I owe a guy in Missouri somewhere, I think 70 something cents for gas because I didn't have all the money one day. And I went back and he was gone. He is no longer living and the gas station had closed. You think he's dead? I feel, yeah, he's dead. He, he, was, he was really old back then. And I still feel guilty about that. That's a secret. I just told everybody in public. You need to take a there mulligan on that one. <laughs> okay. All right. It's yours. Come on. What? Tell me a secret. A secret? A secret. Did you make that one up? No, that's real. That's really real. I was trying to think of something that was, you know, a, a surprise, a secret. I was made up. Uh, when I was little, I was obnoxious, and I talked a lot, as many of you can probably imagine. And I was picked on a lot. And when I got a little older and I was still being picked on, there was another kid got on the bus. And I made fun of him a little just with words and stuff. And it felt good for the first time in my life to not be the only guy, you know, it was like, but that was crummy, you know, and I felt sick after I did it. I think I even apologized to him. But now that I'm 42, I kind of would just like to tell that guy, you know, I'm sorry I did that. Well, good. Maybe he's listening. Golly, that was, maybe you didn't want a secret like that. (laughs) Hey, I'm out of here. I love you later. Peace. Peace.